I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello, you're listening to The Future of Media Explained. Me, Press Editor, Dominic Ponsford. This week, we're learning all about online abuse and what to do about it. So, to help us navigate the world of online abuse, I have with me in the studio Press Gazette UK editor Charlotte Tobit. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Dom. Online abuse. It's not something we get a lot of at Press Gazette, I wouldn't say. I, don't, I think we're mercifully don't get too much, do we? We don't get too much aggro from the haters. I wonder if being a B2B brand, we're a bit more protected from the savageries of the consumer-facing world. I feel the people that seem to get it hardest are local newspaper reporters who venture onto local Facebook groups who just who sit, which seem to have a particular type of venomous troll on there. Also, when young local journalists have to do a Facebook Live, they just get pilloried. I'm speaking from experience, not me, but being in the newsroom and seeing it since. I know it's still a thing. And it's just people just have no patience, no sort of goodwill there. Yeah, it's particularly sad, isn't it? Because saintly people, local newspaper reporters, doing a job for love, for very little money, long hours, incredibly hard work, and then you go the extra mile to go onto social media and you get, oof, sucker punch. Cherry on the top, being (laughs) abused for trying your best, I know. So I know you've written quite a lot about this for us and also about mental health for journalists. And So just give us a, a bit of an overview of how big an issue online abuse is as far as we can tell yeah so i've got a few stats for you until recently there weren't there wasn't great uh, broad data on it but then the government did do a survey that last year found more than a third of female journalists said they feel unsafe doing their jobs in the uk in total that survey had 360 male and female journalists and 80% of that total said they had experienced something like bullying, death threats, abuse, threats of violence, or violence, racism, homophobia, sexism, or some other in- intimidation as a result of their work. So 80%. Obviously, they acknowledge it's a small, it's quite a self-selecting survey because obviously probably people who had experienced online abuse were more likely to fill it in. 
but that's still already hundreds of people. But then quite worryingly, one in five of the people who'd experienced something like that didn't report it to their employer because they viewed it as part of the job and 10% worried that raising it would affect their career prospects. So that's obviously quite sad. Then on a more global level, a UNESCO survey also from last year suggested that around three quarters of female journalists worldwide had experienced hostility of some sort online and a quarter had been threatened with sexual violence and death. Actually, it is a pretty big number of people who are affected by it to some extent. It seems an alarming proportion, doesn't it? Am I right in thinking that one of the kind of tough things people find is that it's the stuff that happens out of the workplace because it can be in the evening when you're at home when you're unwinding, when your guard's down and uh, these sort of notifications pop up on your phone and you just feel like your kind of domesticity has been invaded. Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the things people are now advised are on better ways to compartmentalise your professional and personal life, either with different social media accounts or making accounts private and that sort of thing. So there are things you can do to help, but it's obviously so invasive when you're just trying to unwind and you can never switch off because people are always coming at you and it's always pinging. So there's that. At the one level, there's the kind of grassroots problem. But then I imagine high-profile journalists must have a whole another level of things that they're dealing with in the sense that the amount of followers they've got and the amount of attention they've got. Yeah, so I've, I've gathered a few high-profile examples for you. Just a quick one, obviously, in BBC's recent political editor, Laura Koonsberg, we know that you just had to look at any tweets she did, even the most serious political tweet. It's just awful. It's a cesspit of abuse and to the extent that she ended up having to have security guards at a party conference because that's the way it spills offline. Channel 4 news presenter Kathy Newman said at a Zoom event last year that the online abuse she'd received is totally dehumanising. So she's had death threats and had her home address put online and she said it made her feel as if I was being eviscerated by a pack of dogs in the street. The BBC obviously even though not all of its journalists are as prominent as Laura Koonsberg it's got a massive reach so for example Rihanna Croxford who was its youngest network news correspondent when she got that role in 2020 last year said she'd already considered leaving journalism altogether because of receiving abuse particularly of a racist nature and then Owen Jones is another he's often trending on Twitter for some reason or another and a a lot of the time that involves abuse he told me in an interview a couple of years ago that abuse had become a tedious part of his life because he's always dealing with it but he urged other journalists to take it seriously when it happens to them and never let the abusers win meaning make sure you always report them. And he uh, is another, of course, who it spilled into his real life when he was attacked on a night out in August 2019. And a judge later ruled it was motivated in part by his political views and sexuality. So, you know, stuff he's talking about online. It's not okay, really, is it, at all? So Reach, which which is the UK's largest consumer news publisher, they're doing something about this, aren't they? So what are they doing about it? Yep, so last year, Reach created this new role. It's the first in the industry to create a specific role like this, and the job title is Online Safety Editor. And the idea was to help tackle the endemic abuse and harassment of its journalists head-on. It basically said that although it did have support structures internally before, more needed to be done, in particular to protect the mental health of its journalists. And this was triggered by a number of things going on in the industry, but also it had done its own internal survey 
survey that found a significant number of its journalists had experienced some kind of online harms in the course of their work. So Reach hired Rebecca Whittington, who was a journalism lecturer and course leader at Leeds Trinity University. And previously, she was a journalist for 10 years as well at regionals, including the Yorkshire Post. So she's got that mixture of research and training, pastoral care, as well as journalism herself. Her actual job now involves a mixture of supporting journalists as they deal with unpleasant pylons, as well as trying to make wider change, including by liaising with the social media platforms themselves. And I started by asking how her first sort of almost a year in the role had been going. It's been a really busy nine months since I started. And while there are certain similarities with the cases that come up and the the things that are reported to me and the things that I work with people on to actually support them, there are new challenges on a regular basis as well. Things that are new and that have to be given new approaches and, and new thought processes to as well. So it is an ever evolving situation and one that really does need some expert advice on really. So I hope that I'm filling that role and taking that expert role. And then just before we get into sort of what you have been doing, I know that there's been a lot more awareness and openness about mental health issues for journalists over the past couple of years or so. Do you think this is one of the things feeding into that? Yeah, I mean, I would say that Online harms could very well have mental health implications for people and welfare implications. And obviously, journalism is a pressurised industry, and that is the case across the board within journalism. You're working at a fast pace. The demands of the audience change, the things that you're trying to achieve. There's a lot going on all the time, and that online harms is one element of that. But clearly, it's not an element that's going to be bringing a ray of sunlight into your day. Although there are there are online interactions that can be really positive and actually have really positive outcomes as well. But yes, I do think that we need to be thinking about mental health and well-being when thinking about online harms. And actually, I've done quite a bit of work with Maya Sumanayak from Middlesex University, for example, who's come in and actually done some, we've trialled some training around emotional intelligence and how to respond to, you know, how to manage difficult situations and manage difficulty and how to seek help. I've trained as a mental health first aider because it's really important in the role that I'm doing that I'm actually being able to signpost people to support that's needed. And obviously REACH does have mental health and wellbeing services. So we've got like the Employee Assistance Programme, which is a 24-7 counselling and support programme. And there's also Sanctus, which is a kind of coaching programme that allows people to identify something specific and, and then work on that particular thing. And so I do think providing those wellbeing structures around it are really important. So I work closely with our wellbeing champions as well, and also our diversity and inclusion groups, because again, often it's interconnected with other things. So discrimination against personal characteristics, for example, can have a huge impact on mental health and well-being, and unfortunately is something that we see playing out online quite significantly. And also I wondered, do you think that maybe it's become more the case that journalists don't just accept that being shouted at, whether online or in person, or you know, having that sort of thing happen doesn't have to be part of the job that you can do these things about it? A lot of the younger generation that are coming in. The ones that have perhaps finished their university degrees or finished education during the pandemic, for example, that group of that generational group, I would say, is more aware of its own mental health and well-being needs. And I think that's actually really good because those that I'm seeing that those people are 
expecting to have the kind of support and welfare structures around them and they ask for it and they seek it out and we can signpost them to it and they will then take that up and I think that is really good and yes I do hope that message about this this isn't an acceptable part of the job it isn't something you should have to put up with I really hope that message is filtering out to people and I believe it is. However, it's a large organisation and across journalism as a whole, I do think that is probably a legacy that we still are trying to trying to move on from. And it's just because still there are people who will shoulder different things and then have different expectations of what their colleagues should be shouldering. So part of my job hugely is actually... Yes, we have systems in place and there's structures that I've put in place and there's work that I've done, but actually a massive part of it is getting that out in front of people and communicating that to them and reminding them that it's there on a regular basis. And that is really crucial because there's no point in doing a workflow about how to deal with an online backlash and then only sharing it once because in the moment of something happening and a crisis happening or supporting somebody while a crisis is happening like that, it might not be the first thing that comes to someone's mind unless I'm putting it out there on a regular basis. What's been going on? What have you managed to achieve that you're proud of and that you think you know, is working that others might be able to learn from so far within the company? When I started this role, it was a brand new role. So it's a blank canvas in lots of ways, which is good. Obviously, as soon as I had my foot through the door, there are people coming to me who are experiencing things online. And I obviously had to pick those up and deal with those whilst also trying to get structures into place through more strategic work that took a slightly longer time. So for me, documenting the and recording the cases as they came in, was really important. That was already happening to a degree, but I changed the way that we documented it slightly. And that was from the very start. And it meant that we could then give a, we could have touch points where we checked in with people and then a point of closure. And I think that is a really crucial thing when actually dealing with any kind of difficulty within within the workplace that actually there is a point of closure so that everybody understands at that point. Okay, so we're going to leave it here. And if you need to pick it up again, you can do, but otherwise you won't be hearing from me again on this. And I think that's important so that people can move on as well as feel that they are supported and that they have had that treatment that they need. So I, I started that off really quite quickly, but at the same time wanted to find out exactly what the issues were that people were facing. So I started out by asking, asking, doing kind of feedback sessions with different brands across the different regions. So obviously we cover the whole of the UK and Ireland. So actually going region by region, brand by brand was quite important because brand brand audiences can be very different, but also regional variations can mean that people are experiencing different things in different areas. I did listening meetings across the whole organisation in the first part of the year, and that really meant I could then build a picture of what the different experiences were by the different regions, but also that I could get an overall picture of what the key issues were. And then that meant that we could identify areas where we needed to get the ball rolling with training, for example, and for example, things like welfare and things like making sure that people were aware of our mental health support services and the rest of it. So I did that. And then after that point and after gathering together that information, that did help formulate some of the training planning that I'm doing, some of the documentation and kind of series of guidance that I've produced around certain things. So example, online backlash is a huge issue and that was raised quite significantly as being a huge issue on social media. And I've done quite a bit of work around how to actually manage an online backlash, the different tools that you can bring in and the ways of protecting yourself. Another example would be that there is sometimes that kind of blurred line between professional use of social media and then personal and private use of social media. 
And sometimes if you're not clear about where those distinctions are and where those boundaries are, you can find that actually the lines are blurred and the audience will potentially go to the wrong place without any malicious intent, but it can obviously then disrupt your work-life balance. And similarly, actually really being quite firm about what you want people to know about you online then protects you online. Issuing guidance around thinking about what you want people to know about you and what you don't want people to know about you and how to keep that private, the bits that you want to keep private and all the rest of it. So those are just two examples of things that I did off the back of that, those listening sessions. And then one key piece of work that I've been working on really since January that has been quite significant is creating a proper and more robust reporting system. So I was using my reporting system that I'd got set up from the start. In July, we launched the new reporting system, and that is on a system that is essentially like an IT help desk. So you fill in a brief form, and that means that goes through into the system. I can basically triage different people into it so that if it's a social media issue within the regionals, I can bring in a social media manager to help with that. If it's connected to a security problem or somebody might need a bit of security advice, I can bring our security team into that. So it's basically a way of actually triaging behind the scenes, bringing different people in, documenting all of the interactions around that case in one place to make it transparent and it also means that the user it's much easier for them to make a report now but also they can go and check on the progress of their report see who's involved and also see what the report status is so it means that we can close those reports and it's really clear they can go back and look at them afterwards as well. That that was quite a significant piece of work because it took quite a bit of working with some of our product team and then actually getting that off the ground. And one of the crucial parts of that as well, of that system is that we ask for informed consent from anyone making a report on their own behalf for them to provide their be counted data alongside naming the platforms that are being reported and the the actual online harms categorizations as well. Our be counted is something that it essentially allows people to give their personal characteristic details to reach and we have a high proportion of staff that have actually filled that out and it means that our diversity and inclusion leads can actually look to see who makes up the company and how we can then respond best to their needs etc and obviously there is quite a lot of anecdotal evidence around women for example people of colour there's a lot of transphobic and homophobic abuse that takes place online a lot of that evidence at the moment is anecdotal. So actually this is going to offer an opportunity for us to actually really start to hard evidence that as which obviously will really mean that we can then as an organisation look to see what platforms, certain types of abuse are taking place on, who the people are that are being attacked by those particular problems. And then it helps us identify specific support, support needs and specific needs for those individuals as well, those different groups that identify within those areas. And it also means that, for example, if we can see there is significant amount of misogynistic and sexist abuse taking place on Facebook and we can look at how that's being dealt with and then we can work with Meta to actually try and take some of that evidence back out to them and say, this is happening. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. 
At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical, and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Then you touched on Meta. So, yeah, social media, the platforms themselves are who I wanted to move on to next. So you, you talk to them quite a lot, don't you? Like, how well do you find that they engage with this problem? Is it as much as you want? Do you want to go further with them? <laughs> I think I'd always like to go further. <laughs> but yeah, I would say that I'm a critical friend to to Twitter and Meta. We have good relationships with both. We have partnership relationships with both. We meet with them on a regular basis. And actually, really quite recently, somebody from Meta came and did a session for staff about the different safeguarding opportunities on Facebook specifically and also Instagram. And we could share those materials. And it was a Q&A session so that people could actually ask questions around certain things. And I think those kind of opportunities and those kind of that partnership working is really important. So I'm hoping that Twitter is going to come and do the same soon because actually they have just quite recently put a few new things on Twitter that 
you know, are great. There's a way of taking yourself out of conversations now that actually, in terms of online backlash, will be hopefully a game changer for people and just give them that element of control back over when their handle's being used in a in a backlash on Twitter. But obviously, people are misbehaving and misusing the tools that these platforms provide them. And I do think that there is always room for improvement. What I tend to do with both of them is take evidence to them and say, this is happening. This is an ongoing issue. Can we do something about this? Can we feedback to you? Is there a way that we can then move this forwards? Unfortunately, those kind of conversations are quite often a long process because it's often tech in the background. It's I'm one person taking that to them. But I'm really hoping that the new reporting system will really help us firm some of those examples up as well so that we can actually take that firm data back to them. So I would say that it's good to have a positive and constructive working relationship. I'm not always going to be going to them with stuff that they like, but sometimes I will be. Sometimes I'll be able to bring them in and do something really positive with them within reach as well. And I think that actually the fact that we have this working relationship is good because I would be worried if we didn't, quite honestly, because these issues are continuing to go on. And we see from just from the first six months of the year that Facebook and Twitter were the most reported ish platforms out of all of the different areas that people can make a report about and that they're fairly consistent as well in, in terms of being reported. While there are functions and we can take a specific case to them and they can look at that and hopefully make an improvement within that specific case. I think a lot of the real potential with those platforms and that partnership working is also trying to show them where the ongoing issues are and hopefully that information will actually help inform the changes that they make as organisations. I'm a great one for bringing, bringing people in to have conversations and actually working with them because you could easily make an enemy like you could easily say they're the bad guys and it's there's no point because it's just going on all the time and nothing changes but actually i don't believe that's true a and b that doesn't build a constructive pathway to actually making better change i'm really pleased that we've got those positive working relationships with them good let's get here and then so what about other parties i think the government and you already mentioned the national committee for the safety of journalists do you think that they're being effective do you think there's more that could be happening there as well i think it's good that the government's having these conversations i feel really pleased to be part to be party to the national committee for the safety of journalists and i do keep in close contact with that group dcms recently held a survey of working journalists in the uk the results for that i'm hoping will be published imminently and that again will inform reach it'll inform industry as a whole it that's all good news. And we need to be keeping the government focus on these issues because if at the end of the day we want to have public interest journalism, which is clearly something the government has an interest in, we need to be able to protect those journalists to produce public interest journalism without fear. So I think that's all good. The police are making some headway and I think that's good. I think that it's still a reasonably force by force response that we see. And I think getting that messaging to filter down into police forces is really, really crucial as well so that that response is across the board taking it seriously. But I do think we're seeing that and then police Scotland, Northern Ireland both have a dedicated liaison officer who I know are taking an interest in this. But again, it's, it is just such a big issue that one person getting across the whole of a police Scotland, for example, that's a, that'll be a challenge for them. I think that it is going in the right direction. I just think we need a bit more of it, basically. 
Yeah, <laughs> classic. Are there any things, are there sort of any obvious things you think other publishers should be doing that maybe they're not? I guess it's what are your easy tips? Like if someone isn't as, hasn't been as proactive as Reach yet, but they want to get going on this, what could people start with maybe? I think that there's lots of really good resource online. I feel for freelance journalists, because I think that freelance journalists obviously are going to be sometimes quite solitary and quite isolated when these kind of things happen. There'll be small startups that maybe there might be like three people in the team. So actually having somebody like me is just not going to be a possibility. And then there's other news organisations that maybe just haven't quite got there yet. There are loads of good resources online. So there are the resources that are provided and recommended by the National Committee for the Safety of Journalists. There are resources provided by the NUJ, for example, that give guidance. The Rory Pet Trust for freelancers as well does a lot of work in this area. There's the, and I can't remember the name of the top of my head, but there's a coalition against online harms and online hate. There's loads of information and resource out there. And I tend to share it as much as possible. I've done some work recently for the NCTJ to actually help inform the free training that they're going to be providing on their platform around around online harms and how to deal with certain different issues. And I do quite a lot of work with universities. I quite happily go in and talk to cohorts about this because I think it's really important that we're embedding it in that training area as well so that journalists are prepared when they come into workforce about the things that they might face and also the support networks that they will have available to them. So... I think it can, it's sometimes such, might seem such an overwhelming challenge because it is an issue that's outside of your control in so many ways. But actually, there are a huge amount of resources and experts in this field. I'm always happy to talk to people as well. So if somebody wants to come and drop me a line and ask me, you know, about structures and stuff like that, I'm really happy to have those conversations because, quite honestly, from my point of view, if Reach is doing it and then the other uh, publishers are doing it and broadcasters are doing it and actually we're singing from the same hymn sheet uh, in terms of the way that we're approaching it, it then makes us a more robust force against these things because it's quite likely that if somebody is being abused online by person A and they work for Reach and that person A is abusing them, they're probably also abusing somebody at the BBC and also abusing somebody who works for a different news organisation. So. Uh, this issue isn't a different issue for different news organisations and different journalists. It's something that we need to work collaboratively on, in my opinion. So yeah, do tap me up if you need to. You said you've had a little checklist for things you want to do next. I wonder if you could just tease what your yeah wish list for getting done next are. Yeah, I think making sure that we can get the systems up and running, that people are using them, which they already are actually, and the reporting system is being used, but getting more people to report is great because then obviously we can start pulling that B-counted data. I think one of my key challenges is going to be the World Cup. I think we've got the World Cup coming up. There's new league, new season for football, and that's obviously going to bring with it, unfortunately, a lot of online harms and abuse. So I'm already doing some work with our football reporters, getting them prepared for how to protect themselves online before the new season really fully gets into swing more work around that and actually then also kind of working with different groups on different subjects as well so I think we see trends of harms and abuse taking place and I think that previously COVID was a huge one so there was a lot of misinformation online there was a lot of threatening against journalists who were reporting around COVID as well we see less of that now because the reporting is less but what we are seeing is a kind of rise in hateful conversations and harmful conversations around things like gender 
and the way that people identify. And actually, that is something that I imagine that we're going to see more and more of and actually working with the right people to actually get prevention and protection in place for that, I think, is going to be one of the big challenges of this coming six months, just to make sure that we're robustly supporting people who have that need. Yeah, so I think those are two key areas. And then I think ultimately, I would like to do a public facing campaign about the impact of online harms. But that is something that I might be looking at after the next six months, because there's a lot going on in the coming six months. Thanks for that, Charlotte. And great to hear from Rebecca Whittington. And great to hear that Reach have created that role, really. It seems like a, a good a good development. Yeah, I always think it's not okay if someone does something to make you feel not okay and you have to address it these days. And it sounds like she's come up with some good good ideas about what to do. But so, what, I mean, what do you think, in a nutshell, then, are the big things which not just journalists, but I guess people who run newsrooms and managers need to bear in mind when it comes to this issue? So I'd say a big one is just listening to the younger generation that are coming in because they're the ones that have triggered a lot of this movement against it and not just putting up with stuff like this. Yeah, it's not an acceptable part of the job anymore and you do need to do something. You can't just say, yeah, I'm sorry to hear about that. It is, If it's happening because of someone's work, you need to be really proactive and not let them suffer or you'll end up losing good people. They're have been at least anecdotal evidence of people losing journalism because of it so you don't want that to be the case in your newsroom or you'll lose some of your best people and the other thing seems to be just collaboration across the industry if everyone works together on on these solutions we'll get there a lot quicker than if everyone's just doing it very piecemeal and on a case-by-case basis in terms of when abuse happens if we take it seriously and try and get something done it'll just be a lot quicker and and make the industry a happier place for lots of people yeah not everyone can probably afford to employ an online safety editor but probably everyone will have a hr department and people who are employed to think about procedures and putting support in place brilliant thanks for that charlotte fingers crossed we don't get any online abuse as a result of this podcast but i feel that if we do we'll be better placed to deal with it i'll just call rebecca and ask for help yeah (laughs) you've been listening to the future of media explained with me dominic ponsford press cassette uk editor charlotte tobit and expertly engineered by adrian bradley please like the podcast and subscribe to it wherever you get it and recommend it to your friends and to read more about all the issues we cover in the future of media explained check out our website of course pressgazette.co.uk